You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, if you have not done so, I would strongly encourage you to check out last night's episode um, with Wisconsin Sports Heroics. Very excited to announce our partnership with them. Their company is growing um, extremely rapidly, and um, they're doing some great stuff over there. Got a big old team of writers and whatnot, and it was great to be able to uh, talk with them and um, get something worked out. So now we will have an additional once-per-week show. It is the Wisconsin Sports Heroics Podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network. And again, just being able to find really talented people to um, get some quality content for your, your ears and whatnot. So excited for that, and um, I had three episodes sent to me last night, so we're going to have today, and I don't know exactly how this is going to work moving forward, but for today, there's going to be a massive amount of content for you. Um, You've got last night's episode to listen to if you haven't yet. You have this podcast. There's going to be an afternoon podcast with Clayton trying to rock out some more content, Um, and then, of course, Monday is our draft day. So you've got it's always draft season later this afternoon uh, evening. So really excited to be able to give you that much um, that much content. I wanted to start off today um, with something I was listening to yesterday. I think it was like PFF draft podcast or something. I'm not entirely sure. They were just quoting somebody else, anyways. But something they mentioned. It was one of those things where they say it, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then the more I thought about it, I thought. Well, maybe it kind of does. And I don't know that this is what the Packers do, but it sure feels like it. And it, it potentially feels like, for one, it's just something for you to kind of chew on. It's something that I'm still chewing on. It's not uh, officially, hey, this is how it goes. It's more of a new theory that I hadn't really heard yet that I'm still processing that I wanted to pass along to you to think about. But also it's potentially some insight into what exactly the Packers are doing and what their draft philosophy is. We keep talking about high RAS score and and tall and fast and all that stuff. We used to refer to it as a high spark score, but we don't talk about spark score anymore. But the comment essentially was this. I can't remember who they were referencing that apparently said it. Palazzolo, maybe? I don't know. But he said, you know, the draft is house money. You know what I mean? It's, it's, It's not your money to gamble, so you don't need to worry about it. What you should be doing in the draft is taking risks. You should be, for example, let's say you are drafting early, you should be drafting high upside guys like Trayvon Walker, guys like, oh, I don't know, Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, A.J. Dillon. They were specifically referencing this draft where you really don't have those can't-miss prospects, maybe Aiden Hutchinson, but, you know, even he isn't necessarily Miles Garrett when he came out, you know what I mean? 
There is no Jamar Chase. There is no Penny Sewell. There is no Trevor Lawrence. There is no Ezekiel Elliott. There is no Kyle Pitts. There is no Quentin Nelson. There's no Quinnen Williams. You know, I mean, just you go down the line. I mean, there, there's, there's no Roquan Smith. There is a Kyle Hamilton, but even he's starting to fall. That might be the only guy that is positionally, you know, a, a rare prospect to come out. But you look at his, his uh, testing, and I think most people are kind of going, meh, no, probably not. In fact, they're talking about him potentially falling out of the top 10. So it's hard to talk about generational prospect that isn't even a top 10 pick. And so the point is, again, with this particular class, which has plenty of high upside guys, as I've said, as far as high upside players, there's a bunch of them. You should pay in for high upside because that's what this class is anyways. But even generally speaking, if you're not talking about a can't-miss generational uh, prospect, which isn't even a thing, Trevor Lawrence, for example, Ezekiel Elliott, for example. I know he was good for a few days, but, you know, certainly not worth that pick. But why not take a swing on high upside prospects? And my, my immediate thought is because the hit rate is lower, right? If, it, if it's high upside, you're um, taking a more risky approach where if it pans out, it's going to be real, real good. Again, Jair, Rashawn potentially A.J. Dillon, remains to be seen, but seemingly he's Rashawn Gary, which is just this ball of potential that nobody has seen because he hasn't broken forward yet. Hence, a big part of the reason I want this offensive line to really explode, because we have not even scratched the surface of his potential. But again, if if your plan is to build through the draft and you're, you're lessening your hit rate, that doesn't seem like a worthwhile strategy, but the thought came in, well, that's what free agency is for. You don't need to draft subpar players. You don't need to draft mediocre players. You can find mediocre players and not pay them a ton. For example, we have taken a few swings at defensive tackle. Nothing super early, but we've taken swings with guys like Kingsley Kiki, TJ Slayton, Montrevious Adams. It didn't work out. So what do we do? We pay like 50 bucks for Jerron Reed. We've taken swings at linebacker. Oren Burks, right? We went for upside. People thought it was too early, but everybody knew that the guy's athleticism and everything else just kind of screamed upside potential, but it didn't work out. Kamal Martin. We tried. We swung. You could call it half-hearted if you want, but they tried. It didn't work out. What did we do? We paid with a, you know, a bag of peanuts for Devondre Campbell. I mean, obviously, we had to pay him a little bit more now because he worked out, but so what? It worked out, especially if you, if you have a really talented staff, if, if you do a good job of evaluation in the draft and in free agency, and you trust yourselves to be able to first and foremost find those gems in the draft, but also trust that when you miss, you're going to be able to patch whatever holes there are in free agents with free agency. I think from that standpoint, it kind of makes a good amount of sense. Why would you aim your sights any lower in the draft? Now, you could say necessarily the uh, free agency is more expensive is why you don't do that, but there's also an element of if, you know, if, if you aim high and miss, it doesn't mean they're automatically off the team. Darnell Savage, for example, might very well be a miss. He still starts. It's not like we're wondering if he's going to make the 53. So really, by, by finding safer prospects, you're probably raising your hit rate a little bit. But the odds of you finding real star potential, which is what you need to win in the NFL, is minimized massively. The Packers had a lot of options last year when they were picking. They could have gone a lot of different directions. They ended up picking one of the more high upside guys. And a lot of people kind of thought, "Mm, I don't know about that, because his rank 
was sort of mid-second round, as I've talked about a thousand times, as are a lot of guys that they pick. But I think that's based on their overall film evaluation. That is to say, they were guys who played better in college and are projected to be more likely to succeed in the NFL. But if you change the question and ask the film evaluators and the, the draft prospects, or the, the draft evaluators, who's got a higher upside of the remaining players? Eric Stokes rises up the board. And I'm sure there are several who would tell you Eric Stokes is probably the next best prospect if you're just talking about high upside potential. Now, again, in this draft class, this, I mean, this is, this is the Green Bay Packers dream. Because again, a lot of these guys have question marks, but have massive upside. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson. These are high upside guys. They're low floor prospects, almost all of them. Christian Watson, NDSU, Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson are kind of small. Jamison Williams is small and is coming off an injury. Drake London and Traylon Burks are big, but there's questions about are they too one-dimensional? Are they athletic enough? Are they fast enough? They all have questions, but they all have top five wide receiver potential. And that doesn't even include in the later rounds, having guys like Wandale Robinson, Alec Pierce, Calvin Austin, um, you know, Tyquan Thornton, tight end prospects like Trey McBride. It's very rare to find tight ends with, with real true speed. George Kittle is, is a pretty rare prospect running 4-5-2. You got Jelani Woods running 4-6-1 at 6'7". That's a high upside guy. Bellinger is at 4-6-3. Charlie Kohler at 6'6", runs 4-6-2. It's another absolute monster running at kind of ridiculous speeds. You have tight end, tight end Armani Rogers. The guy's 6'5", and runs a 4-4-1. Uh, Lucas Kroll out of Pittsburgh is 6'6", runs a 4-6-4. Trey McBride's got that George Kittle speed. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's 4 5 six. That's the funny thing about it, too, is, you know, again, uh, tight ends are running in, running in the four fives is relatively rare. I mean, Robert Tunyon has uh, surprising speed at 4.64. Four. And here you got a second-round prospect tight end that has speed that is very rare to find at tight end. One of the few guys that can run kind of like George Kittle can at 6'3 and a half, 250 pounds. Nobody bats an eye. You think this guy has some upside? By the way, uh, again, smallish school, but pretty solid blocker as well. Calcitera, 4-6-2. You know, I mean, again, the offensive line, I've talked about how I'm not the biggest fan of all these tackles and everything else, but you want to talk about high upside. I mean, we, we saw the combine. It was one of those things where the, the offensive line, I think, went first, and it's like, oh my goodness, these guys are all freaks. And then the tight ends go, and it's like, oh, they're all freaks too. And the wide receiver, oh, they're all freaks. And the edge rushers and the defensive tackles, oh my good, good, good lord, the edge rushers and defensive tackles. Jordan Davis, again, one of the more athletically freaky human beings ever. My understanding is, according to the RAS metric, number two ever behind um, Calvin Johnson. Leo Chennault, another guy that we kind of just shrug our shoulders to. And, and again, speed and all that does not necessarily translate to being a great football player. But again, we're just talking about being a fan of real high upside, and this draft class is nothing but high upside. Trevor Penning, Christian Watson, Louis Seen, Boye Mafe, Bernard Raymond, Alec Pierce, Chad Muma. And I'm just talking like first and second roundish prospects. I mean, there's, 
you get to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I mean, there's going to be undrafted free agents with nine, eight, seven RAS scores. Nick Zakelj, offensive guard out of Fordham University, nine, eight, three RAS. He's six foot six, three hundred and sixteen pounds. Ran a five one three. Great explosion, good agility, elite speed. This guy's. I mean, he might get drafted late, or he may just be completely undrafted. Freaks upon freaks upon freaks, and th- th- this is. Leaving aside what we're, we've been talking about, we'll, we'll leave that where it is. You can mull that over on, on your own time. It's my time. This is the Packers and Brian Gutekunst's time to shine. These are their prospects. This is their territory. This is in a sea of freaks. Can you pick out the ones that are going to meet that potential? If there was ever a time for the Packers to have 11 picks, this is the draft to have them. If they can use some of that for, for draft you know, uh, the ability to move up, but still end up with eight or nine picks. Man, oh man, this is the draft class you find stars. But again, as I said, you're probably going to have more misses in this draft class than usual, and probably more first round misses as well. Higher probability that the guy you draft in the first round, even early, you're not even safe if you're taking top 10 prospects. Evan Neal isn't safe. Kayvon Thibodeau isn't safe. Trayvon Walker certainly isn't safe. Kyle Hamilton isn't safe. Derek Stingley isn't safe. None of these quarterbacks are worth hardly even taking in the top 10, much less being ridiculous enough to say that they're safe prospects. There isn't a single wide receiver that I would put money on as being even a top 20 wide receiver. And even guys you feel unbelievably comfortable that they're going to be very good football players like Jordan Davis, what are the odds they become, you know, anything more than two-down players. I mean, he might be an elite two-down player, but is he going to ever be more than that? You going to put money on that? No, I'm not. You go ahead. I'm, I'll, I'll hang back here. I'm sure he's going to be a good player, but good at what? You touching any of these linebackers? Running backs? Tackles? Guards? Edge rushers? Again, maybe Aiden Hutchinson. Corners? Safeties? Punters? Nothing? Anything? But again, there's going to be stuff. And, and the funny thing is going to be, You'll have a guy like Christian Watson that's going to go off, and, and the narrative is going to be, you guys are all idiots for not seeing it. Just watch the tape. Look at the potential. How can a guy be this big, this fast, and not be good? You guys are crazy for not touching him. You guys are crazy. And the pack, it, it's going to be insufferable for the Packers because some of these guys are going to be free, it's especially the wide receiver, because everybody's got their favorites. And when the Packers pick, they're going to pick some and not pick others. It's possible Traylon Burks is there and they don't take him and Traylon Burks is very good at football. You idiot. How could you, how could you not know? You guys are stupid for not believing in Traylon Burks. You guys are stupid for not knowing Chris Olave was the best wide receiver in this draft class. Everybody knew Jamison Williams was going to be the best. I told you George Pickens was going to be the number one. Brian Gutekunst couldn't see that. I could see it for crying out loud. Sky Moore should have been way higher on everyone's board. But they're going to ignore the fact that a lot of these other guys were not good. They're going to pick the one, say, that was my guy, and I knew it, and everybody knew it. And the Packers should have got him, but they're too stupid. But ignore the part where, yeah, but a lot of these guys sucked. And you didn't know jack squat. You guessed and got it right. That's assuming you're not just lying right now. But congratulations, you guessed and got it right. Anybody want to put $1,000 on anyone's name right now? Doubt it. So if you're going to do some big talk and do it now, because I don't want to hear it later. And if you are going to do it later, can we please give it three years? Can we please just stick to the three-year rule that you don't really know until three years have passed? I know nobody likes that rule, but it is kind of a rule. 
Most rookies are not good. At the very least, people take two years. Some take three. Some take more than three, but I think it's at least fair to be upset with somebody after three years. And then if it takes more than that, before you, you see that their, their, their potential is much higher than those three years, like guys like Devontae Adams, then we all just kind of go, eh, we got that one wrong. Oops, shouldn't have yelled at him. Sorry, Devontae. It's funny how Packer fans talk about how, you know, the Packers are just so trash and how they treat people. And Devontae left because of how horribly he was treated by the front office. Maybe he left because he doesn't like the fans because he got dog for three years. Because everybody was saying, cut that bum. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? You ever take responsibility for the stuff you say? You talk about the, the, the front office. Look how you talk about Jordan Love and Amari Rogers. They, they don't know how to treat the players. They don't know. Da, 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 da. Maybe players hate it here because the fans are so insufferable. You ever think about that? Compare Packers fans to Bears fans. Every single draft pick the Bears have made is the greatest player in the history of the universe. Everybody the Packers draft sucks, according to Packer fans. Maybe that's why nobody wants to play here. Because of you. Everything about that? Stop yelling at Mark Murphy. Rashawn Gary. You could say maybe he's a little bit sensitive, because I ended up getting blocked too, but maybe he went on a blocking spree for a reason. Maybe, maybe whoever runs his social media had to go on a blocking spree to protect him from the fact that the fan base was ready to burn down Green Bay, Wisconsin, because we drafted Rashawn Gary, which is the worst thing in the world that you ever could have done. I wonder how much Jordan Love would love for another team that appreciates him to, to find his real potential. Like, you know, if I'm going to be a great quarterback, I'd like to do it somewhere else. You wonder if that thought has ever occurred to him. Because if I'm going to be great, I don't want to be great here for these people after how they treated me. You ever think about that? I mean, we seem so aware of, of every little thing the Packers do that is wrong. You cut Jeff Janis and you knew Aaron Rodgers loved him. How dare you? How dare... What? Well, you, you didn't offer so-and-so a... Con- Compared to the stuff that you say about the Green Bay Packers and the players, I think them making business decisions about who stays and who goes, I don't really think it compares. Just wondering if people have ever thought about that. It, it, it is kind of hilarious. You have people literally swearing at Mark Murphy about how bad he is at his job and how um, terrible they are at managing all these different things without realizing or even hearing themselves. And it's kind of unfortunate, too, because Wisconsin and, and the Midwest in general, you know, the whole Midwest nice thing, you would think if nothing else, I mean, people don't want to play here. It's not a big city. The weather sucks. There's nothing fun to do in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but at least it's a nice atmosphere. It's, it's such a nice place to be. But it's not, because Packer fans are some of the most miserable people ever. They're rude, they're mean, they're just, they're not good people. And it annoys me, and I, yeah, I'm going to keep talking about it, because if you're doing that, and I understand a very large portion of my audience is not doing that, but just, just come on over to my side and yell at, yell at them with me, because it's important that we do this. Same reason I'm going to keep hammering, if you're screaming at people to sit down at games, you're stupid. Sell your tickets. Sell your tickets. You can sit down in your living room. Hilariously, I would bet any amount of money that those sit-down people, if they were sitting in their living room, would be standing up screaming. I would love to go to their house and be like, dude, hey, can you, can you keep it down? I can't hear the television. Shh, please. With the yelling, unbelievable, this guy. You're going to scratch up the floor. You keep getting up and down out of that friggin' chair. You're going to end up in the basement soon, for crying out loud. Would you calm down? Giving me an anxiety attack over here. I'm just trying to sit down and watch a golf, I mean, a a football game. And this guy's over here getting excited and cheering and making noise. Ugh. 
I mean, what is this? I want to love Packer fans, and I hate that I keep talking about how great Bears... And by the way, Bears fans are garbage in other ways. I mean, when, 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 it, be, when it finally becomes clear that players aren't good, and they, they'll give them the three years. When it finally becomes clear, dude, they will just absolutely kill somebody. But, it, but at least they gave them the benefit of the doubt. And by the way, once a player leaves, probably their worst attribute... See, and this is where Packer fans are much better. I'll never forget when Brian Urlacher left. One of the greatest Chicago Bears of all time. Packer fans, when he left, said that dude is great. Gave him all due respect. Bears fans, dude is trash. Good, get out of here, you loser. You don't want to play for us, you, you bum. Get out. He sucks anyways. We're better off without him. Like, that's Bears fans. And that's where it's like, dude, what the heck? If, if you're a good player, Packers fans, will in, they'll be endeared to you forever. Donald Driver. We're out here cheering for that guy to play, and it's like, he's not even that good. He's probably a liability at this point. It's like, dude, it's Donald Driver. They're on a Super Bowl run. I want him on the field. He deserves this. I mean, you, you are a hero to Packer fans for life, and there's almost nothing you can do to change that, although we've found that there are a couple lines you can cross <laughs> to scratch yourself off the list. Um, even quarterbacks, in fact, pretty much all of them have done that for one reason or another. But I just... Oh my goodness. I don't even know how we got here, but if, if we could just work on that a little bit, you know what I mean? When a guy gets drafted, and, and it's, it's an appropriate topic because the draft is coming up, understand, and I've been hammering this forever, you don't know who's going to be good and who's going to be bad. The Packers don't know, you don't know, the freaking draft network doesn't know, PFF doesn't know, nobody knows who's going to be good and who's not. And the worst part of it is, there's going to be draft grades, and they're probably going to give the Packers bad draft grades because we always get bad draft grades. And you know what? It doesn't matter. You know, the only good draft grade the Packers have ever received and that I can remember is Amari Rodgers. And even after the draft grades come out, we're still not going to know who's good. And after preseason, we're still not going to go know who's good. After training camp, all the reports come out. You're going to hear about how these first round draft, you're going to hear about how great Amari Rodgers looks and all these guys look, and then, then they're not going to look very good. And you know what? It's not going to matter because it's not going to translate to the preseason and that's not going to translate to the regular season. And year one is not going to translate to year two and it might not even translate to year three. We're not going to have answers about a lot of these guys for many, 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 many years. And I know that sucks because we're looking at these prospects. We're looking at Chris Olave and saying, if we draft him, he's Devontae. Like day one, week one, he's ready to go. I mean, even Maybe he's not Devontae, but I mean, come on. He's at least Justin Jefferson. I mean, day one, boom, done deal. No. Probably not. I mean, he doesn't know the playbook. He's got no chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's um, probably going to be thrown to Lazard a lot, you know. I mean, if you get Jamison Williams or something, then, you know, he's he's sort of the, the if, if he can get open deep, then, you know, Rodgers probably uncork it, maybe. I don't know, probably. But it might not be as, as instant impact as, as we're hoping. And so you're probably, your best bet is maybe to, to be patient. And I guess the thing that I don't get is, since Devontae, that, that when, when, when the whole Devontae thing happened, where it took many years, and I mean, he's still, like, I don't know when he's going to finally meet his full potential. I'm hoping he met it last year and starts to decline. No offense to him, but I mean, let's be honest. I don't want, I mean, I, I want him to be happy and have a bunch of money and go live with his family and have the best life in the world. I just don't want him to be the best football player in the world anymore. But after that happened, it was one of those things where, and I didn't even have a podcast at the time. So I, I, thankfully, I didn't have a podcast because I would have been on there just talking about this dude's a bum, get him out of here. And that would have just been etched into time. Fortunately, I didn't. But after that happened, it was something in my brain that said, you probably should cool it. Like, you just, you don't know. And I learned from it. 
It was a, an, an opportunity to learn, yet nobody seems to want to learn, right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers was not a good football player. They didn't want him there because we had Brett Favre. And then we draft um, Jordan Love, and people are pretending that their film evaluation is just next level, and it has nothing to do with the fact that they're just angry that we drafted a quarterback, and it's not what they wanted. They're, they're, they're pretending that that's not a thing, and that really it's just about evaluation. And I can tell. I just, I can tell. Did you watch his game? I can tell. We're pretending we didn't know about Devontae and his struggles for three freaking years when we do our evaluation of Amari Rogers' eight targets for crying out loud. Come on, guys. Come on. We've been through this already. Let's dig deep and find that Midwest nice. I know some of you are not from Wisconsin, but let's just, let's try it. Let's try to be hospitable. You know, I mean, one of the more endearing things about Green Bay, Wisconsin is it's, you know, you you go to a diner and there's a Packer player there and you got some 70-year-old lady just kind of waving like, oh, how you doing there? What's your name? With the pack, everybody's got Packer stuff on and they just kind of wave at you. You know, it's just, it's just a little tight-knit community of people just being nice and friendly and nice to meet you there, et cetera, et cetera. Just small town, peaceful, nice, polite people. And I know that's not what social media is, but we could try. And again, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. Uh, The Packers are going to draft people that I don't like, and I'm going to say that. But there has to be the ability to differentiate between this is not my favorite prospect, this is not who I would have picked, these are my concerns about the player, and then thinking that that is in in some way reality. Because I thought it, it it hath been decreed. No, that's, that's not how that works. It's almost like the draft is its own event, and we need to be able to separate the fun and the excitement and all that of the draft event and how that translates into his NFL career with the Green Bay Packers. As a draft event, the Rashawn Gary thing was a disappointment to me because it was not my evaluation that this would be the, the prospect I wanted. And so there's there's a level of excitement of the Packers drafting somebody that you've you've watched and, and just it's daydreaming about what could be and all these things. And it's it's hard to do that when you draft Rashawn Gary because I watched him on the field and I didn't see very much. And so when I think about what he did in at Michigan for the Green Bay Packers, it's like, well that sucks because I didn't like what he did at Michigan. And so I didn't I don't get to dream and I don't get to have all these these, you know, exciting thoughts about what could be and this and that and, and whatever. I haven't had a lot of exciting daydreams about what if Rashawn, you know, I had daydreams about Brian Burns for sure. And a lot of other prospects that I would have been so excited for. But that's a completely different thing from the question of over the next five, seven, ten years, what is this guy's career going to be? What, what is their legacy with the Green Bay Packers? That's a completely different question. And we have to be able to separate that. And, and that really comes with just a massive amount of patience. You, you kind of just table it. And, re, and, and this is probably what really is hard for people is realizing that our hope for this year has almost nothing to do with the draft. The draft gets us it's very excited and all this stuff, but these are not our saviors. If we win this year, it's largely going to be the players we already have. And that's what people hate, especially with the Green Bay Packers, because the Packers are on the extreme end of, you, don't, you guys don't know what you're doing yet, so you kind of just hang back. Like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and baby you and while you sit, you know, we, we only have limited reps, so the guys that know, it's kind of like the cool kids club, you know? Like, hey, can I come out and play? Like, no, dude, get out of here, loser, freshman dork. To go build a rocket, loser. Don't you have a rock to polish or something? Sucks to be you, nerd. And so they just, you know, 
And again, Packer fans are going to re- not remember this, and they're not going to believe this, and it's it's still going to be, yeah, well, my evaluation stands. If you're a if you're a good player, you play year one, and you're an elite player. I've seen other guys do it. I saw Justin Jefferson do it. Therefore, all our our guys should do it. Amari didn't play. Therefore, he sucks. Oh, you mean like AJ Dillon and Rashawn Gary? They didn't play. Therefore, they suck. And again, this is an exciting time, and and you get to daydream about what could be and how exciting it's going to be. But there's going to have to be the ability, by the time the season starts, to disconnect draft season and reconnect the NFL season. And there are new realities when the NFL season arises. And one of those realities is the Packers' ability to win a Super Bowl is 99.8% going to be based on the players that are already there. This is the thing I always hated about the T. Higgins argument. Well, we would have won if we'd have drafted somebody else. Oh my good lord. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Tunyon Lewis DeGuara, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, David Bakhtiari, John Runyon, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Amari Rodgers, Dean Lowry, Kenny Clark, Jerron Reed, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Devondre Campbell, Eric Stokes, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, Razul Douglas, Jair Alexander. These are the guys that are going to determine whether or not we win a Super Bowl or not. Again, it's 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 99% of, of the talent and production of the team. Aaron Rodgers himself is about, what, 40%? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, we, we, we can get better and we can grow and we can add talent and we should and hopefully we do. I'm not saying we're, we get no production. It'd be nice if somebody could start right away. And if they start right away, they're actually good at football would be fantastic. But it's not doom and gloom now, but the saviors are coming. The real good players are coming. We've got elite players, and that's, that's not how this is going to work, dude. And I don't mean to rain on draft season parade, but I, I'm just preparing you. Because as soon as the draft is over, I'm not going to be kind to stupid takes. And to be clear, it's technically just as stupid to say somebody's going to be elite as they're going to be trash. In fact, you're probably more likely to be correct if you say that they're trash. But if you're going to be ridiculous, be ridiculous in a positive sense and not just be a miserable, whatever, I can't think of appropriate words. Because there's no reason for it. You know, if you're, if you're going to have ridiculous expectations for yourself, one of them in the positive and one of them in the negative, in the negative, they both might be unrealistic, but one of them is worthwhile and I'm not going to stop you from doing it. The other one is nonsense. I'm a pathetic loser. I'm never going to blah, blah, blah. Just stop that. I'm going to be rich and powerful and famous? Like, nah, probably not, but, you know, best of luck to you. Godspeed, my child. Remember me when you are a billionaire. Or don't is fine. You know what I mean, though? I don't, I'm not going to stop you from being unrealistically positive. But I am going to be a little mean if you're being silly while also being negative and trashing this team with no information. Because that's just stupid. Again, I don't know how we got here, but just a reminder, if we draft an edge rusher and they end up edge three behind Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith... It's okay. If we draft a safety and they don't play very much because we got Amos and Savage, it's okay. Doesn't mean they're trash. It's going to be all right. Anyways, we should probably take a break here. Remember, if you can, to uh, check out Drew's uh, GoFundMe. It's pinned to the top of my Twitter. Thank you very much to Jason for the $25 donation, getting us just a little bit closer. Really, really appreciate that. Also pinned to the top of the uh, Facebook group, we got the Jamie and Carter Accident Fund. Again, if you got a few bucks and wouldn't mind donating to those GoFundMes, that would be fantastic. If not, if you could do me a favor and just share those with your friends and family and whatnot, see if we can get these closed out, that would be glorious. Remember to check out amodernfrontier.com. It's a great place to buy all your meat needs, beef, pork, chicken, etc. 
Use promo code MEATPACKER. That's one word, all caps. You get $25 off your order. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So again, I'm kind of losing track on which ones I've done and which ones I haven't. But let's let's run through Adam's mock draft real quick. He's gone, uh, picked several prospects that are um, very easily identifiable. And I think he's going through and picking the uh, prospects I'll probably like. So this will be hopefully a little bit more exciting than yesterday when I went through one that is prospects that I didn't like, and I was just trying to hype them up, and it's like, this is not going to work. But at pick 22, we've got Chris Olave. And, and again, the problem is I've spent so much time trying to find the negative, and I cannot get out of that habit. That I'm, I'm, My concern is we're going to take somebody like Chris Olave or somebody like Drake London, and all people are going to remember is the fact that I'm talking about their floors and, and the fact that they're not going to... Man... It's going to be real exciting if the Packers get Drake London or Chris Olave or even Traylon Burks. We have not drafted a wide receiver in the first two rounds in a very, very, very long. We almost did last year. <laughs> we were very close to taking Amari in the second round, which really would have upset some people. But I mean, it's it's a big deal. You talk about stocking Aaron Rodgers with with some of the the I don't even necessarily want to say talent, but really it kind of is. I mean, if you look at the guys that Rodgers has had around him for some time, I mean, they, they've been fine. Alan Lazard and, and MVS, the tight ends, and obviously having Devontae is, is massive. But just when you look at speed and the route running and all these kinds of things, guys like Chris Olave can do things. And, and granted, there's going to be some time to learn the offense, and they're going to have to do all these different kinds of things. There's still a learning curve, but Chris Olave can do things that the wide receivers on this team currently cannot. And so it's not really even debatable. Any of the first or even probably second, maybe third round prospects, depending on who it is, 
These guys have more upside potential than anybody else on this roster. It's also true of several of the tight ends, by the way, in offensive tackles and and et cetera, et cetera. Edge rushers, probably not so much. And who knows, maybe it opens the door. Chris Olave blows up and, and let's not pretend like this is the only draft we're ever going to have. Chris Olave does really well. Potentially the Packers take more wide receivers, spoiler alert. And they realize, you know what? I kind of like drafting early round, first round wide receiver. Gee Willikers, maybe the NFL's onto something. Our team got pretty good when we drafted Chris Olave. Maybe we'll add another one. Who knows? But I've been having fun going through this um, The Beast draft guide by Dane Brugler. And so I kind of want to use that, continued, uh, continue to use that as my reference. But um, the Packers have had um, a good amount of success with California boys. Devontae was a California boy. Aaron Rodgers, California boy. Chris Olave, California boy. He was in the suburbs of San Diego, Southern California. But he was a three-star recruit, number 68 wide receiver in the country, uh, in the country, 47 out of California. And apparently because he didn't play as a junior and, and there was a really talented quarterback there, most of the scouts were there to see the quarterback. And he was kind of underscouted because he sat out his junior year. But um, Ryan Day at Ohio State was enamored with him. Um, he's got a relatively athletic family. I mean, he's obviously the most of them, but his brothers all play college football. Graduated with a degree in consumer and family financial services. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, decided to not play in the Rose Bowl. Also declined his invitation to the Senior Bowl. Uh, as a, as in his first year, 2018, he played 14 games, didn't start any of them. 2019, played 14 games, started six, third team, all Big Ten, led the team in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and had a blocked punt, which again, you start six games, that's pretty impressive. 2020, he played and started seven games, first team, all Big Ten, led the team in receiving. In 2021, 12 games played, 12 games started, first team All-American, first team all Big Ten, led the team in touchdowns, and was the team captain. Uh, pretty well known at this point, but he did run a 4-3-9, so obviously he's got some speed. Not going to go through all the strengths and weaknesses because I think we pretty much know it, but I will read his final summary note here. First of all, number 17 overall on Dane Brugler's overall draft board, but he says, overall, Olave has an average body type and marginal play strength, but he is a polished pass catcher uh, with dependable ball skills and a unique feel for pacing coverage. He projects as a starting Z receiver and a productive wide receiver too on a depth chart in the NFL. Now, again, that has been my concern is that he kind of fits the Emmanuel Sanders, Calvin Ridley role. And so one of my favorite things, not saying this is about to happen, but I've seen a few people do it, is Olave Pickens. Because even if Olave ends up being a better wide receiver than Pickens is, just from a role standpoint, Pickens is your X, Olave is your Z. And again, I have a hard time wrapping my head around that whole thing, because even if you don't, you've got Lazard is going to be the X and Olave is the Z, but again, Olave is your clear number one, and it's just, it's just a weird thing. And I'm trying to think of another team that has a similar situation and I can't really, I I mean, I guess the Falcons after Julio left, but I don't know enough about the situation to be able to comment on how that changed the dynamic of the team. I don't know, but I I find it interesting. But again, that, that is my concern is he's projected as an elite number two. And it's like, well, but what if you'd need a number one? What, what is it? What does that mean? What do we do? What is that? I don't know what that means. Anyways, with his second pick in pick 28, he has George Karloftis, edge rusher, young guy, 21.07 years old, 6'3", 266. Kind of another interesting connection here with George Karloftis. Um, you know, we, we are big on Cali guys in football, but Wisconsin also has a superstar. In fact, there's several superstars in, in, different, um, in different sports. Maybe one of the biggest, if not the biggest, debatable with Aaron Rodgers, but um, we got Giannis over there in basketball, 
who is Greek. George Karloftis was born and raised in Athens, Greece. So there you go. Standout goalkeeper on Greece's 16 and under national water polo team. Uh, apparently they did move close. They, they moved back after uh, his dad died unexpectedly. Tragically at 44, so his mother moved back to um, Indiana to be closer to family. And that's what brought George Karloftis back to the United States. He was 13 years old at the time. That was when they moved to the United States and he tried football for the first time. He attended West Lafayette High School and basically just took off instantly. He was a four-star recruit out of high school, which again is just staggering. He came to the United States in eighth grade, basically started playing football as a freshman in high school, and by the conclusion of his high school career, he's a four-star recruit, number one recruit out of the state of Indiana. He received offers from most every major program, including Alabama, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, USC. But not super surprisingly, he decided to stay close to family. He lived a mile away from the Purdue campus, and family connections to the university helped lead him to the Boilermakers. He attended Purdue games since he was a toddler when they would visit family in the state. So, I mean, he's had the connection. He wanted to be close to family, so he stuck there. His father actually was a collegiate athlete as well, so he's got the DNA. He has a younger brother. His name, by the way, Yanni. I'm just saying. He just finished his freshman year as a linebacker at Purdue, so keep your eyes on Yanni. Could have another Greek star in Wisconsin named Yanni. Uh, Karloftis elected to skip his senior season, enter the 2022 NFL Draft. He also skipped Purdue's bowl game. Um, 2019, first-team freshman All-American, second-team All-Big Ten, led the team in tackles for a loss and sacks. In 2020, second-team All-Big Ten, missed the second half of the season because of injuries and COVID-19. In 2021, uh, second-team All-American, first-team All-Big Ten, led the team in tackles for a loss, sacks, blocked field goal, 56-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown were his highlights. Ended his college career with 14.5 sacks, four forced fumbles, five pass deflections, 30 and a half tackles for a loss. His overall summary, uh, Karloftis doesn't have elite length or athletic twitch, but he has NFL power, effort, and handwork to break down the rhythm of blockers and be disruptive. He is a starting NFL defensive end in a traditional four-man front. With the third pick, we got George Pickens, wide receiver. Again, I like that combo. Doesn't have to be that exact combo, but there's just something about kind of doubling up and, and just getting sort of the difference. I mean, it, it could be Jamison Williams and George Pickens. I mean, it, it could be Olave and, and Sky, Sky Moore. Just some kind of a combination of, of getting sort of that true X receiver and either an Olave type or, or a Jamison Williams type or something. Essentially, we're looking for a Devontae and MVS replacement, but it doesn't have to be exactly that. You know what I mean? Obviously, Olave and MVS are different styles of wide receiver. But looking at George Pickens, by the way, just so you know, if we end up uh, drafting George Pickens, he actually goes by the name Malik. That's his middle name, and that's what people know him as. So George Pickens is officially Malik. Uh, grew up with his family in central Alabama, attended Hoover High. As a junior, Pickens earned first-team All-State honors with 46 receptions, 735 yards, and five touchdowns. Also had a pair of punt return touchdowns. Pickens earned Under Armour All-American and first-team All-State honors and was a finalist for the Class 7A Player of the Year Award. He was a five-star recruit out of high school, number four wide receiver in the 2019 recruiting class, number one recruit out of the state of Alabama. Uh, He started receiving scholarship offers as a sophomore. Auburn made him a high priority from the start. Pickens committed to the Tigers in July 2017 while also considering offers from Georgia, LSU, Miami, and Tennessee. After a year and a half commitment to Auburn, he surprised many by flipping to Georgia on signing day. It marked back-to-back years that the top-ranked recruit in Alabama left the state for college, Justin Ross, in 2018. 
Pickens' older brother, Chris Humes, was a defensive back at Arkansas State and spent time with the Oakland Raiders as an undrafted free agent. 2019, played 14 games, only started two. Freshman All-SEC, Sugar Bowl MVP, led the team in receiving UGA freshman receiving record. That's pretty impressive. He had 49 receptions, 727 yards, and eight touchdowns. And again, only started two of those games. 2020, eight games started, eight games played. Led team in receptions, receiving touchdowns. Missed two games because of an upper body injury. 2021, played four games, didn't start any. Missed the first 11 uh, games because of a knee injury. Final summary on him. Pickens has a discount sticker on him after missing most of the 2021 season, but he is a graceful athlete with outstanding ball tracking, 50-50 finishing skills. He has wide receiver one traits and potential if he returns to pre-injury form and continues to refine his route. Overall, number 47, second round grade. Next on the list, he's got Travis Jones. I've been very vocal about being a fan of Travis Jones. I'm starting to see him also rise up the boards. In fact, some people have him now um, ahead of Jordan Davis, which again, as I said, if you look at the two, Travis Jones seems to be a better pass rusher, more potential in that category. Maybe, you know, I, I don't think he has the upside, but the production was there, so it's it's something. But Travis Jones out of Connecticut, 6'4", 325, clearly is that sort of uh, nose tackle, big body guy. Grew up in New Haven place I'd love to visit because apparently they have like the best pizza in the world, although I'm very skeptical. I'm still convinced I'm going to go to New York, try it. I'm going to have such high expectations. I'm going to be like, I don't know, dude, it's, it's not that good. I mean, it's, it's going to be great. It's pizza, but I'm just saying, like, it, it, am I going to be like, this is the best pizza I've ever had? I doubt it. But I do want to, I do want to try it. I want to maybe go to New Haven, just try all the spots and be like, all right, let's see. Let's see what this is about. But uh, Travis Jones was actually an offensive lineman when he played at high school, played mostly center before moving to offensive tackle later in the season. But he was a two-way player, so he also played on defense. So at the same time as he helped the team rush for 1,500 yards, on defense he finished with 45 tackles and a sack. As a senior, Jones played left and right offensive tackle and earned multiple first-team All-State honors. On the defensive line, he posted 61 tackles, seven sacks, and two forced fumbles. So the other exciting thing about Travis Jones is you start immediately talking about, can we please put in a goal line package with this guy? Because that would be awesome. I'm just saying. I mean, it's not like he's doing that much work. He's a nose tackle. He's in there like, you know, four plays on that defensive drive. He's got plenty of juice left. Put him in there on the goal line. Put him in there as a fullback. Yes. He's a three-star recruit uh, as an offensive guard out of high school. He was the number 92 offensive guard in the 2018 recruiting class and the number 10 recruit in the state of Connecticut. Originally committed to Rutgers, uh, decommitted the next day after discussing it with his family. Considered offers from Boston College, Buffalo, and Temple, but he bought into the vision of Connecticut. Several schools thought he should stay on offense, but UConn recruited him as a defensive tackle. Jones accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl, was voted the top defensive tackle during the Senior Bowl practices on the national team. He played in 2018, 2019. 2020 was canceled because of the COVID pandemic, at least for, you know, UConn. 2021, he was back at it. Um, He basically played and started all three years that he played, 12 games, 10 starts, 12 games, 11 starts, and then 11 games, 11 starts. Um, and as his final season, he led the team in sacks. He was team captain, and he missed one game because of injury. Ended his career with 133 tackles, 19 tackles for a loss, and eight, 8.5 sacks. Uh, his final year was the biggest year in terms of sack production at 4.5. Overall review says um, Jones's pass rush technique is still a work in progress, but he catches problems for interior blockers with his athletic movements and explosive upper body to stack, shed, and toss. He projects as an early NFL starter with two-gap potential, first, second round grade, number 34 overall. After that, at pick 92, he has Sam Williams as an edge rusher. Sam Williams, and you know, 
there's several issues with Sam Williams here. Number one, 23 years old is, you know, I mean, it's not 24, it's not 25, but it, it is still 23. Beyond that, he's the kind of guy you need to meet with. Sam Williams grew up in a rough family environment as a kid. Got taken out of his home, got placed with his grandma, and then later with his aunt. Now, that's not his fault, and that doesn't, you know, that's not a knock against a person. However, sometimes it can cause problems in youth, having been in a rough situation, and that is the case with Sam Williams. He was a basketball star in high school. He made varsity as a freshman, and as a junior, averaged 15.1 points and 10.5 rebounds per game in 2015, earning All-State honors. However, there was an off-campus incident that involved a knife, and Williams was expelled from Marbury the summer after his junior year. He ended up moving in with a, a different person that became his legal guardian. From there, he went to start playing football. Very little experience. Joined the football team at Lee, where he was 215-pound linebacker in 2016, and his teammate was actually Henry Ruggs, interestingly enough. Um, he was a no-star recruit out of high school. He received attention from several high-profile college programs, but he had less than a year of a football experience and didn't have the grades to qualify. He signed with Northeast Mississippi Community College in Boonville, where he continued to learn the game as a freshman, posting 53 tackles, 11 uh, sacks. 53 tackles, 11 tackles for a loss, 3.5 sacks. There we go. After that, he got a bunch of other offers, obviously Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, LSU, Texas A&M, a bunch. He ended up committing to Ole Miss. He was suspended from the program in July 2020 after he was arrested on felony charge of sexual battery. The charges were later dropped, and Williams returns to the team in 2020. He has a one-year-old son, Sam Jr. Uh, he did graduate, got his degree in multidisciplinary study, etc., etc. The point is, though, there's issues here. There's legal issues, and you understand that it stems from growing up in a really unfortunate environment. I just don't see the Packers taking this on. In fact, I don't, I don't really see him getting drafted very early as a result of all of this stuff. I mean, if, if Sam Williams had the talent of a first-round prospect, you might be talking about taking him in the third round. Maybe not. I mean, there might be a, a team that says, I don't really care. He's talented enough. Let's do it. But you got a 23-year-old with very limited football experience that grew up in a really tough environment and, and as a result seemingly has had some, some issues, which again is unfortunate. But it is what it is. I have to make a decision of what's best for my team, not what's best for Sam Williams. So that is something to consider with him. His overall says Williams must improve his discipline to be more consistent edge setter and rusher, and, and also off the field. Uh, but he has the upfield acceleration and attack mentality to affect the game as a quarterback hunter. He is an excellent pass rush prospect in sub packages with potential to be more. Third round grade number 91 overall. I don't have time to finish every single person here, but we will do one more. At pick 132, he has Jelani Woods tight end. This is number zero, as my son would refer to him. Six foot seven, 253 pounds, 23.55 years old. And apparently it's pronounced Jelani, not Jelani, Jelani. Uh, grew up in at, at Atlanta suburbs. He's been playing football since he was a little kid. Started playing quarterback in middle school. Went to high school with guys like D'Angelo Malone. Justin Schaefer, Antoine Jackson, guys that also went on to, to big college programs. He was a four-year varsity letterman at quarterback and posted a 66.7% completion rate, 1,489 passing yards and 16 touchdowns as a sophomore. Uh, as a senior, continuing as a quarterback, he led Cedar Grove to a 13-2 record in the program's first state championship, defeating quarterback Davis Mills and Greater Atlanta Christian in the title game. I'm not sure if you want to dial up any... Uh, passing plays, but that'd be kind of cool. You throw to your six foot seven tight end, everybody comes up to try to bring this monster down and he throws it over your head to uh, Chris Olave. 
be pretty wild. He was a three-star recruit out of high school, number 31 pro-style quarterback in the 2017 recruiting class, number 70 recruit out of Georgia. He received a few Division I offers in basketball, uh, but the better offers came in football from schools like Michigan and South Carolina before committing to Oklahoma State after his junior year. He signed as a quarterback, but transitioned to tight end role during his redshirt year in 2017. After the 2020 season, Woods entered the transfer protocol, transfer portal, and transferred to Virginia. He graduated with a degree in management from Oklahoma State and is two classes away from his master's degree in higher education. He wants to be an athletic counselor after the NFL. That's kind of cool. Uh, he would. He ended up redshirting in 2017. That's when he uh, transitioned from quarterback to tight end or cowboy back. 2018, played 11 games, started seven of them. Oklahoma State, honorable mention, all Big 12. 2019, Oklahoma State, honorable mention, all Big 12. 2020, Oklahoma State, honorable mention, all Big 12. 2021, 11 games, 10 starts, 500. This is where he kind of stepped up the amount of uh, receiving stuff. He had 44 receptions, almost 600 yards, 13.6 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. He did have five drops. He was Virginia first team all ACC, led ACC in touchdown catches by a tight end. Overall on Jelani Woods, Woods needs to tighten up his route running and overall consistency, but his size blocking potential and catch point upside are an attractive package. A prototypical Y tight end at the next level, he caters his game after Mercedes Lewis and it shows. Third or fourth round, number 98 overall. So again, to be clear, he has high upside potential, but there's not a lot of it yet. But again, tying this all back into what we said before, that's kind of what you use the draft for. We got some pretty good coaches that can teach the guy how to block. And with his size, he should be able to pick it up. So anyways, I, I, I kind of enjoy doing it this way. It, it um, really gives us pr- some perspective on these players that we're not really getting, right? You've heard George Pickens' name 500,000 times in the last two to three months. Anybody know he goes by the name Malik? How many times have you drafted Williams, the edge rusher, and had no idea of any of his off-the-field issues? How many of you knew Travis Jones was an offensive lineman or Jelani Woods was a quarterback? You know what I mean? So it's kind of fun. It's, it's fun to get to know these guys on a deeper level. We're kind of at that stage of, um, of getting to know these guys where we should know a little bit deeper. So anyways, um, I appreciate uh, who did this mock draft. I appreciate Adam. Thank you very much for the mock. We didn't get through everybody else. By the way, he ended up drafting Brian Cook, the safety, Kellen Deach, the offensive tackle, Tyquan Thornton at 228, and then Balin Specter, linebacker at 249. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.